On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, welcome everybody to another episode of Audio Judo, uh, where Kyle and I rip apart music from top to bottom. Wow, that's a long rip. It's top to bottom. It's a it's a huge rip. It's a big giant tearing sound. But anyway, we're glad uh, you're joining us. We're excited to have you here. Tonight's episode revolves around soundtracks and scores of movies and or television shows, but primarily movies, yeah. and why why music has become so important to movies in general. So uh, one of the first questions I had when researching it is, why are soundtracks and scores so important to film? Like, what do they lend themselves to? And one of the things I focused on was, I believe they provide either an emotional counterpoint or an emotional through line to whatever is happening in a particular scene. And they can give a scene gravity, or they can remove gravity from said scene. And to me, that becomes a, a very important element of the storytelling of a movie. I know you and I are big Star Wars fans. Yes. I know one of the yes. big jokes is like, there's a there's a YouTube video that with the closing scene of Star Wars, the- uh, of, of episode four in New yes. Hope. When Luke and Chewbacca, they're getting their medals. Yes. And they've taken all of the music, all of the sound out of that scene. And it's hilarious. Yeah, it's so quiet. Because there's no gravity. There's there's no emotional impact. It's just, it's just <laughs> weird. And I think that's uh, one of the main things soundtracks give to movies. I will fully agree with that. I had never really considered where soundtracks came from. So obviously silent films, everybody kind of has that idea, you know, that during a silent film, there'd be somebody playing a piano uh, or an organ, or they would play a record sometimes. Uh, and I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. They would have obviously, you know, paired it up with music. Do you know why they started pairing music with movies? No, please tell me. To cover the loud noise of the projection equipment. That makes sense. Like it was a completely practical, they were like, you know, these projectors are loud. They make a lot of like clanging noises. People have to change the uh, uh, film canisters and things during the projection. And because movies were new, audiences were not quiet. Audiences were loud. They would talk during movies and things. And if they played music, people tended to be quieter because they were either trying to listen to the music or they didn't want to talk over the music. So it meant that they were paying more attention to the movie. That makes sense. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I would have never in a million years thought that it was something that practical. I would have thought for sure it's like, oh yeah, they're playing the soundtrack to add, like you said, to add something to the movie, to add an emotional depth, to, to mm -hmm. bring out, you know, Hey, this is a light, fun song, so we know it's a fun scene. And this is a serious, somber song, so we know it's a serious, somber scene. But not at all. It was a completely practical move. It's an interesting point that that it, was, it had a practical basis for it. Yeah. And I know uh, 
we're going to talk about our particular favorites. The first soundtrack that I ever owned was Star Wars New Hope soundtrack, and I had it on (laughs) 8-track. Yes, that is correct. And I listened to it exhaustively as a piece of music. Like I would take all the... uh, I take all the uh, sofa cushions off our sofas in in our uh, family room and put them on the floor and I would just jump onto them for hours, just like like basically (laughs) make my own trampoline in the living room. And I would just play that soundtrack over and over again to the point where you know, you know, on an A-track, you know the dips and builds and music because it would dip out and come back up. Yeah. And we we had a couple others that were really important to me personally, like on Golden Pond, it's not that great. But we only own like three soundtracks that I can recall like that and on Golden Pond and another one that I will mention later. Oh, it's one of the one of the choices. But what what's your what's your experience? Did did you own the uh, one that I can think of from like when I was a kid? My mom had Footloose on cassette. And I remember listening to that pretty frequently. Like when we were going places, it would be in the cassette player in the car mm-hmm. or if we were going on a vacation, it was, you know, uh, or sometimes up at our uh, family's cabin because there wasn't, uh, you know, you had to, there was no electricity. So you would have to take, you know, like a battery operated radio Rust, and it rustic. was exactly. And it was something to, it was like just something to make noise. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but I, I can't really think of, cause I was thinking about this the other day and I was trying to think, okay, what was the first, like, when was the first time I really thought about like, uh, you know, I bought a soundtrack or, you know, I, I thought to myself like, oh yeah, this, the music in this movie is really good. And I really couldn't pinpoint a time. Like, it's just, it's so ubiquitous now. It's so there. It's so always in the background. Right. And it, and iconic elements of soundtrack are just so prevalent in society. Like we all know the five notes from Close Encounters. Oh yeah. And you know that because it, it lives with that. If, if 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 you're in a pool and someone goes, dun, dun, you immediately know. Yeah. Oh, there's going to be a shark in the water. There's there's so many musical passages that have become so iconic because of that. Which some are on the list and some of them aren't. So we can just get right into it. Kyle and I have not discussed what our favorites are to this point, so I have no idea what he's going to say. I Ooh. have in front of me. What? There is one thing we should probably go over before that. Please do. There are actually different types of soundtracks. Yes. So that's because I I feel that that's a good distinction because we kind of split this up. There's musical film soundtracks, which are like when you take like a Broadway show and turn it into a movie. So like Grease or uh, La La Land was another one or Tommy. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's film scores, which are usually, usually instrumental, but occasionally do have lyrics. And they're usually composed specifically for the film. There's, um, I know there's another word for this and I can't think of it, but it is uh, when they apply pop music to movies. So they say like, oh, we want this scene to fit this song or we want this song for this specific scene. There's a word for it. And for the life of me, I have not been able to come up with it for the past few days. It doesn't matter. But yeah, somebody, if somebody out there knows, get in touch with us. Please do. But uh, there's also uh, film scores that cover both of those. Mm -hmm. Uh, Soundtracks for other things. Uh, Specifically, they mentioned in one of the articles that I was reading, uh, video games. Mm -hmm. They're a little bit different because a lot of times the soundtrack will include not just original music, but uh, sound effects. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, 
boings and sproings and all that kind of stuff just to uh, whatever they composed specifically for the video game? Actually, my sons are very well versed at playing the soundtrack from Portal on the piano. Ah. They spend a lot of time learning those musical pieces they have. Mm-hmm. Like, and they're, they're beautiful pieces. It just, I don't even, I don't know. I didn't know where they came from. Yeah. I'm like, what is this from? And they're like, oh, that's from from a portal. I'm like, the video game portal? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, <laughs> it's really pretty. It's just, it seems out of character, but yeah. but it's a huge business. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think, I, rem- I was looking at a statistic the other day. The video game industry is the third largest industry for composers now. Well, that's to, true. To make, that, to make a living in. That's true. Because terrific. it's, it's after... Uh, the American film industry and Bollywood, I believe, are the first number one and number two. That makes sense. Yeah, what a surprise! I love Bollywood movies, but uh, me too. Last last type is uh, albums that contain music and dialogue from the film. Ah, I know the Pulp Fiction soundtrack does that. There's like little intros to all the songs. That was one that I missed. And there's also. Um, uh, the other really famous one was the original Wizard of Oz soundtrack. Uh, apparently had dialogue from the movie in it, including some kind of a, a cut dialogue scene or something that was really... The Jitterbug? Like, the Jitterbug? The Jitterbug was a was a song and a scene they filmed for Wizard of Oz and then cut it. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, it's actually really cool. Hmm. Well, there you go. So, I, I yeah, that's... Uh, that's it. Okay. Those are the different types of soundtracks. All right. So let's get into it. Let's indeed. Let's get into it. Do you, would you like to go first? You can go first. Yeah, I'll go first. So, well, I guess we should explain what what uh, what did we pick here? So we picked a I picked a film score and like a, a pop album that uh, was used as a, a that is also what I picked soundtrack. All right, cool. So I'm gonna do I'm gonna do my film score first. Okay. So the film score that I picked was uh, the soundtrack to On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the uh, James Bond movie. I believe it is the seventh James Bond movie, if I remember correctly, 1969. Is that the George Lazenby one? It is okay. the George Lazenby one. It is, uh, depending on who you ask, it is either the best Bond movie or the worst Bond movie. Yeah, it's pretty polarizing. It is. It, it, it really is. I used to hate it, and now I've watched it probably a dozen times in my life and I actually really like it. It's a very good movie. I'd say, honestly, I've probably only seen that twice, so I don't even know that I could comment. For sure not about the music. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's one of the reasons why I think so many people avoid watching it is because they've just, it's, you know, George Lazenby is this sort of in-between, well, not even in-between, he was, it was Sean Connery and then George Lazenby came in and did On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And then they were like, nah, it's not working. Let's get Connery back. Let's pay him what he wants. And because of that, so many people avoid this movie. It's a really good movie. Um, John Barry, who did um, the soundtrack for 14 James Bond movies, yeah, uh, did the soundtrack for this. It's, it's a really, really great soundtrack. What's really unique about it, too, is the theme song uh, does not have any lyrics to it. But it does have a um, a Moog synthesizer, mm. and this was kind of one of the first like big name movie soundtracks to use, um, like an electronic synthesizer. Mm-hmm. It's a really like it's definitely rooted in that kind of like late '60s sound. It's it's a fantastic track. It's called uh, "This Never Happened to the Other Feller." 
No, wait, I'm sorry. It's called On Her Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs> this never happened to the other feller is the one that has... That's um, a separate note, Kyle That made. is a separate note. <laughs> Unrelated to no, the No, that the, that's the track that has the main James Bond theme in it. The one that everybody knows. The that one. Actually, I don't think it has that part. What? That's the part. It has the sting. All right. I got to write this down because now now I have to add that to my uh, listening list. Your listening list. Your so listening my list of- score is "Chariots of Fire" by Vangelis, and just the. Besides that, all the incidental music on it is really really good. That was the other one. My mom had that score. On LP, okay, and I used to love listening to it because it was so unlike the movie that I watched. It didn't necessarily fit really well with the movie, really, because of the way it was scored. It it, it was almost abstract. Didn't have that, you know. You, you expect a a running movie to have songs that propel you along, yeah, and it didn't. It, it, there's tons of incidental stuff, and the theme, well. Everyone knows the iconic vision of the guys running down the beach and that's playing. It was ancillary to what was going on. Just absolutely love that score. Interesting. Right? Would you like to go to compiled soundtracks? Since I think this one's going to have a lot more play. Sure. Go ahead. And I will see if yours is on this list. I guarantee mine is not on that list. Fantastic. I picked... uh, Fucking weird soundtrack. Well, I don't know if it's weird. It's it's well Love known, it. but it's mm, how should I start this here? Just start it. Who made Who by ACDC, which is the soundtrack to a fantastic movie called Maximum Overdrive. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Holy crap! Did you just did you just choose a, an Emilio Estevez movie? An Emilio Estevez movie, The Mighty right. Duck Guy. Wow. Uh, do you want me to talk about it first or do you want to no, please introduce do. yours? So it, uh, if you've never seen Maximum Overdrive, it is a, uh, it's the only movie Stephen King has ever directed. He wrote it as well. It was based on a short story called Trucks. It has a- Original name. Uh, yeah, right. Okay. That's what the movie is about. A comet is passing by Earth and all the machines come to life and start killing people. That's that's the most basic way I can set up the premise for this movie. And the movie follows some people who are stuck in a little tiny truck stop called the Dixie Boy in South Carolina to set this up to be an even better movie. So this was at a point in Stephen King's like, this is from the book Stephen King by Rebecca Steffoff talking about Stephen King in this point in his life. She okay. says, uh, after years of heavy drinking, mostly beer, King finally admitted to himself that he was an alcoholic in the early 1980s. In 1985, King added a cocaine addiction to the mix. His habitual use of alcohol and cocaine, along with the prescription drugs such as Valium and Xanax, spiraled out of control. Got a little cocktail going on. (laughs) Blackouts became frequent. Uh, King, who was now accustomed to writing in an alcohol and drug-induced state of mind, later said that he barely remembered writing Cujo. Uh, Of his work as the director and writer of Maximum Overdrive, he said, The problem with that film is that I was coked out of my mind all through its production, and I didn't really know what I was doing. Oh, that's that brilliant. Is, that is from Stephen King. Well, so he would know. Fantastic movie. 
No. And fantastic soundtrack, which is even better. So is it uh, Who Made Who all the way through? Is it just... So Who Made Who is... is it all ACDC? It is. Interesting. Actually, they used Ride of the Valkyries at one point, too. But the actual soundtrack, Stephen King went to ACDC, and for years... So according to one of ACDC's biographers... uh, Let me look up his name here really quick so I get it right. Murray Englehart. Uh, uh, oh, Murray. On the, the Blu-ray for uh, Maximum Overdrive, they have a little uh, bonus feature called Who Made Who? And it's an interview with Murray Engelhart. And he says that for years, ACDC shied away from doing movie soundtracks because they specifically did not. And it's the same reason why they've never done a comp- compilation album. Mm-hmm. They don't want to sell their fans something that they already have, which I think is well, kind of a cool sentiment. But here's here's my problem with that. Hmm. Anytime you buy the next ACDC record, you've bought the last 18 of them. So it's like, we don't want to sell them anything they already have. And you're like, but I have it with the previous 18 records. Unless you're talking anything after uh, Dirty Deeds. Yeah. It's like, oh, I've heard that. It's How many different ways can you put those three chords together? Supposedly, though. The way and that, that now Stephen I'm ripping King, on ACDC. So right? forget ACDC ever coming on this oh, show. Oh, boy. Well, there, there's somebody else to add to the do not interview right? list. Career over. Supposedly, the rumor goes that in order to get them to do it, Stephen King went to them to prove that he was a super fan and actually started singing Ain't No Fun Waiting Around to Be a Millionaire mm. and didn't stop. He sang the whole song. He wasn't just like singing a little bit of it. He sang the whole song and like danced around the room and everything. And that was what finally convinced them to do a soundtrack. And then him and Angus Young did massive amounts of cocaine. Oh, I'm sure they did cocaine okay. together. <laughs> that's what, I, that's I what do, I'm guessing. Uh, I should state, I do not have any empirical evidence to suggest that they did cocaine together. <laughs> but I will say that they probably did cocaine together. I'm just going out on a limb here and saying. Yeah, just, just going out on a limb here and saying that two cocaine addicts probably did cocaine There's together. There's probably some cocaine involved. But uh, That's my guess. Yeah, the soundtrack, it is both, there are some new tracks on there, um, including Who Made Who, which was written specifically for Maximum Overdrive. It's actually a good song. It is. There's a song called DT. Oh, it is a, yeah. It's just an instrumental. The other one that's just an instrumental is, this is uh, post, Chase the Ace. Yeah, this is post-original drummer. This is one I think they had Chris Slade on drums and totally changed everything. But right in the pocket. Yeah, he could play. He could play four on the floor, no problem. I believe it was Simon Wright on drums. Oh, different yeah. guy. Yeah. So the in-between. So not the, the original in, the, drummer. The in-between, yes. But not Chris Lee. Okay. But the uh, the other tracks that are on here are, uh, let's see, obviously Who Made Who is the opener track. Uh, you Shook Me All Night Long. DT. I feel like that Sink was a, the Pink. I feel like that was on a different record. Though. They all are. Oh. Except for Who Made Who. DT and the Ride On, which is the only one uh, that features Bon Scott on vocals. It's too bad. Uh, Hell's Bells, Shake Your Foundations, Chase the Ace, and For Those About to Rock, We Salute You. <laughs> and then there were also five other tracks that they recorded that didn't appear on the album, but they're, uh, they're all just incidental music and instrumentals that play well, in the background. I commend you. You went way into left field for that one. You knew I was going to, right? Straight out of the box. I did. <laughs> I did. So I have before me the top 10 U.S. selling soundtracks, of which one is my 
Ooh. personal choice. But I'm not going to lead with that one. That one will be at the end. So okay. these are going to be in no particular order, except for the first one. The first one is uh, The Bodyguard soundtrack. Huh. 45 million copies sold worldwide. 15th highest selling record in U.S. history. Really? I looked at the track list. I know two songs. <clears throat> one of them is I'm Every Woman, which was not clearly written for this soundtrack. <laughs> and the other one is the Dolly Parton, uh, I Will Always Love You. Yeah. And that was the vehicle for this ridiculously high-selling record. That is uh, that it, is bonkers. It makes no 15th highest selling album. 45 million copies worldwide. Wow. For the bodyguard song. And I again I looked at it. I tried I listened to a bunch of them through Spotify. I'm like, I have no idea what this is. None. And I saw the huh. movie once, but it's a it's trash. I don't <laughs> a good movie anyway. I'm like, what the hell? Why? <laughs> I don't know what a, like you buy it for the one song. Like this is again, this is what you and I have gone back to about uh, digital music and, you know, people bought that record yeah. for one song. You could have just bought the single for God's sakes. I don't know why you had to buy the whole record, but 45 million units. That is that, crazy. It is crazy. 45 million right? copies. <laughs> Next one on here. Come on. Purple Rain. Oh. Purple Rain. I almost picked Purple Rain. Uh, doing some research about it. Prince wrote over 100 songs. Over 100 songs to choose from for this soundtrack. I would and he was that. already like he was already established cuz you know 1999 had come out before that so Little Red Corvette 1999. Yeah. A black album. Was it all come out before Purple Rain, but this is the one that like solidified put him on the map. Like yeah. and this was that huge year 84 where you know Purple Rain came out, Like a Virgin came out, Born in the USA came out. All these records like yeah. all in one year. This was the I, I came out in 1984. Did you really? Yeah, that's when I was born. Weird. That, I, did, I did not come out of the closet in 1984. That took that a lot longer. That, that was a little bit later. I, uh, I was born in 1984, though. So I'm just saying a lot but, of great things that year. But 100 songs. There's eight songs on the soundtrack. <laughs> he wrote 100. Like, uh, what was the rest of it? I'm sure it's sitting in, in, it's sitting it's in sitting the vault. In a, it's sitting in a vault somewhere. To make somebody else... Hundreds of millions of dollars whose name isn't Prince. Probably. Uh, the next one on there, Forrest Gump. I would believe that. Right? So basically, that's a time capsule from the 50s yeah. to the 80s. And it's, uh, you know, it's got Elvis. It's got Joan Baez, uh, CCR, Mamas and the Papas, The Doors. It's got The Age of Aquarius. And it's basically like a greatest hits record. Yeah. And it that mirrors the movie. So all, you know, the movies and all the iconic places – He's at Woodstock. He's at you know the MLK uh, Martin Luther King speech, and he's at all these different things. And these songs were all prevalent. You know, hippies and everything's like it's spot on. It's for Zemeckis. It's like yeah, who's really good at use utilizing music in his movies, like Back to the Future. Yo, absolutely like excellent at utilizing those. Uh, the next one, 1987, huge, uh, Dirty Dancing. Oh yeah, massive for every like. It was uh, that was my sophomore year of high school. Uh, we even played uh, multiple songs from that soundtrack in marching band. <laughs> like we did, did the like full marching versions of uh, "Time of My Life." Like I've had the time of my life over and over again. I must have heard or played that song like a thousand times that summer. Jeez, oh, uh, "Hungry Eyes" and "She's Like the Wind." 
which makes, you know, which at that time made every, every high school girl swoon <laughs> at Patrick Swayze's singing. She's like the wind, I guess. <laughs> like that soundtrack was massive. That sound like you couldn't go anywhere without hearing dirty dancing. <laughs> massive. Uh, the next one, uh, Titanic. Mm. Which again, one song. There's only one song. In there's only one recorded song. Everything else is soundtrack related yeah. or score related. There's only one song. My heart will go on. Thirty million copies. Oh my god! Of that for one song, it doesn't make any I, sense. I, um, I'm trying to like I had written. To, I think it's Alan Silvestri was the composer on the rest of the music, and he wrote that song as well. And uh, Celine Dion had said it was a throwaway. It was like, I'll record it, but it's garbage. Yeah. I don't even want to do it. And James Cameron heard it and he's like, that's it. That's what we're going to base the whole freaking movie on. <laughs> I'm like, what? wait, what? Like that, because that theme repeats. Yeah. Throughout the whole thing, that the, whistle, the, the that, flute. that little flute. Next on the list is The Lion King, not the recent one. The 1994 that animated one is version. a surprise to me. That's what I said. That I mean, it has some okay songs in it, but I would not have expected top ten best-selling animated picture soundtrack of all time. Hmm. And I said, and and I'm looking at my notes. Music carries so much of it, like Circle of Life and Hakuna Matata. Yeah, Just, can you feel the love tonight? Is not one of my favorite songs ever. Like I really don't <laughs> care. It would seem like a forced piece, but Circle of Life. Can you picture the beginning of that movie without that? No. Right? So it does kind of help facilitate the story. And then uh, one you've already mentioned, uh, Footloose. I knew that one was going to be in there somewhere. Yeah. And I thought this would be like out of the top 10, it was eighth. Okay. And I thought it would have been higher, but I completely forgot that Almost Paradise was on there. Yeah. That uh, Let's Hear It for the Boy and Holding Out for a Hero by Bonnie Tyler are also on that record, which is really good. And there's a great Sammy Hagar song called The Girl Gets Around yeah. on the very end that's pre, right before he joined Van Halen. That is a great song. It's a great song. And I love that. That's a, it's a great record. And then the, another iconic one, Top Gun, which everybody gets excited about. And aside from what uh, people may think, uh, You've Lost That Loving Feeling is not part of the soundtrack. It does not appear at any point. But Danger Zone... And the Academy Award winning song that year, Take My Breath Away by yeah. Berlin, which is really out of character for Berlin. Like if you know Berlin at all, like Metro, that, that kind of style was not Berlin style, but it's a great, great song. And uh, it, the whole uh, soundtrack is produced by Giorgio Mortar, who was pretty much the- He was the disco of, king. He was the synthesizer guy. Yeah. Right? He worked with Blondie and all these people. If you want to know, if you want to hear a great song or hear the story of uh, Giorgio Moroder, listen to Daft Punk's Random Access Memories. There's a song yeah. titled Moroder, Moroder on there. I think we got to do a whole episode on Giorgio Moroder because he- oh, That'd be cool. It's funny that that would come up just now too, because like not even two weeks ago- I was poking around on Apple Music, and there was a a Giorgio Moroder uh, greatest hits playlist that somebody had compiled, and like I, I just I knew who he was, and it had gone from my memory. And all of a sudden, I was like, "Oh yeah, what's on here?" Every single song on there is either a huge hit that you know he wrote the melody for, and he wrote the synthesizer track for, sure. for some other artist, 
or it's something from one of his personal albums that are just fantastic. Mm-hmm. I said fantastic again. That's all right. That's just neato. That's better. That's super great, awesome, <laughs> big time. That they're they're great, great tracks. They're very they're all acoustic or not acoustic. They're all uh, no lyrics or anything to them, but they're 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 great. Instrumentals. Instrumentals. Thank you. That's, That's the okay. word that was not coming to my mouth. That's all right. The next one was the outlier on here. Uh, oh brother, where art thou? Oh, falls into that, and that was really responsible for the resurgence of bluegrass yeah. in any sort of uh, popular framework. Uh, Alison Krauss and the uh, Soggy Bottom Boys, and the tenth one, which is my is oh boy, the top one, right? So this was the, the this record defined not only a genre of music, defined a complete and total era, like this soundtrack defined three to four years of a decade. It sold 54 million copies worldwide. It's still fantastic. Even even though I could care less about the style of music that it represents, it's still so iconic. Saturday Night Fever. Oh my gosh. Is huge. And it it spoke for the entire experience that was disco. And I hate disco as a concept. <laughs> But really, there was, there was no other musical experience that spoke to a movie as well as that one did. Hmm. Like you think about it's staying alive, how deep is your love, night fever, more than a woman, jive talking, everything in a row, like one right after the other, was so well crafted. And that's uh, to me that that was the whole that was the point. It it, it almost came together accidentally, <laughs> like they weren't going to record any music at all and someone said can you knock these out and they like wrote them in a weekend <laughs> and just blammed it out and like here you go and they're like well we don't have a script yet but now we have these songs so we'll just base it off of this <laughs> and i'm like whoa that's that's the whole experience right there it's uh, it's funny to me how often that kind of a story comes up when you start researching music and you start researching especially stuff like soundtracks where it's like, we had nothing, and we just got three great musicians together, and we're like, bang something out. So they took a week, and then we had this you know, soundtrack that sold 20 million copies. How, I don't even know how to put this into words. How, do you, how does this keep happening? I don't know. And how are these musicians so damn good that they can just get together for a week? And But there's, a, there's always like a perfect storm of creativity. Okay. Because... I, I would be hard-pressed to name another Bee Gees song outside of that record. Hmm. It would be very difficult for me to say, oh, well, don't forget this one and this one and this one from these records. Like, it was a perfect storm of timing. And, and you know, uh, as an editor, when you're under the gun and you have to create and you have to figure it out, usually a lot of your best work is done in the heat of that yeah. instead of like, I, I know we talked on the last episode about Zeppelin having 17 months to create this really, really great record. And that worked, but in the same vein, uh, you have, you know, the Beatles recording revolver in eight days. Yeah. And when the pressure's on, can you deliver? And I think that's what you get a lot of the time. You get this storm of, we need something now. We don't have anything. Okay, well, you got four days to figure it out. 
And magic happens because you are pressured into delivering exactly what they want instead of spending a couple months going, well, I think this would be good. And I think this would be good. It's like, we just got to. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Cause you would, it. you would pick the thing that you're like, what's the surefire way to do this? Because you don't have time to experiment and be like, let's try this. Let's try this. You're right. like, what has worked in the past? What's surefire? Let's do that again. Boom, boom, boom. Right. And there's your magic. There's your, uh, your rumors by Fleetwood Mac, or there, there's your Sergeant Peppers by, you know, well, we know that's by Sergeant Peppers by the Rolling Stones, obviously. Correct. So uh, actually, Sergeant Peppers by the Bee Gees, ah, because yes. they were in the movie. Oh, that's right. It's bizarre. <clears throat> but yeah, that's uh, that's that top ten list, and that's that's my one, which is completely out. Uh, and that was the other record that my mom had. That was the okay. other soundtrack. I also had a. Uh, Muppets version of it. It's called Sesame Street Fever. <laughs> that had uh, Grover on the cover doing the John Travolta white white suit. Nice. The, the finger up it's in the really, air. It's really great. <laughs> like It's only got four tracks on it, but it's so, I mean, I'm out. <laughs> Sesame Street Fever. It's perfect. Is it as good as Disco Duck? Yeah, it's better than Disco Duck. Oh, awesome. I'd have to look that up then. You should look it up. Add that to the collection. And then on the list of like other iconic <laughs> scores, you know, there's there's the typical list. There's your your Godfather. Oh yeah, Casablanca, Raiders. So many of these are John Williams soundtracks yeah. that it's unreal. I assume Star Wars is on there. Star Wars was the first one. Yeah, Rocky. Fantastic. You can't run up a set of stairs without right without <laughs> right. Yeah. Lord of the Rings. I could see that one being right? big. Uh, Jaws. Also, yeah. Superman. Also yeah. John Williams. That I would, yeah, okay. The Batman soundtrack. First one, Danny Elfman. Oh. When this, th- that was the soundtrack that really kind of established Danny Elfman as this generation's John Williams, so to speak. Like with how iconic his themes were for movies. Not as thematic as John Williams. A little darker. But you could put like Beetlejuice. Batman, Edward Scissorhands, that kind of stuff, all Danny Elfman. I was watching a movie the other day. It was uh, Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. Danny Elfman, Oingo Boingo's in that. Yeah, exactly. That's I, All of a sudden you said Danny Elfman, and I was like, what was I watching that had Oingo Boingo in it the other day? And I was like, all right. It's a dead man's party. Yeah. It's a dead man's party. Who else I have on there? Oh, Psycho. I could, yes. Bernard Herrmann, which, you know, it's uh, atonal. Yes. That whole that whole theme, the high, the high strings, yeah, wing, wing, wing. the the whole soundtrack is atonal. There's very little actual music, so to speak, mm. listenable. It's all very discordant. I'll be honest, I don't think I've ever heard any of the rest of the soundtrack outside of the movie. It's really good. Hmm. I'll have to check it out. Uh, Pink Panther. Oh yeah, Henry Mancini, and so specifically iconic. Harry Potter. That I could Same see. Same thing. Um, a personal favorite of mine that they only used two to three minutes in the soundtrack mm-hmm. out of an 18-minute piece that became so uh, well-recognized because of the movie, and it wouldn't have been the same. The movie wouldn't have been the same without it, is the Exorcist theme. Oh. Uh, Tubular Bells by Michael Oldfield. And that part wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been as spooky as, as dramatic if they had included the original soundtrack. So there was an entire soundtrack written for it 
And William Friedkin uh, scrapped it at the last second and said, no, that's not at all what we want. I heard this tubular bells thing while I was sitting in the office at, <laughs> and he's like, I want that. And that became the theme for The Exorcist. Just the way they way he utilized it heightened that that very uncomfortable feeling throughout the whole movie, which I loved. Uh, what I was going to say was, you know, some of the other ones that I looked at or thought about for the score for uh, more modern movies were uh, Interstellar. And- I had that on my list because it's different. Yeah. Because they utilized uh, sound editing specifically to really heighten moods. And one note played over and over and over, just kind of hanging there. Like uh, Christopher Nolan, he has a he has a knack yeah. for using things that way. Producer Randy just passed me a note that says, uh, Michael Giancino, who's done the majority of the Pixar films. Ah, that's good. It's another good one. Uh, I mean, they're all, they all have some iconic moment in them. You know, they're not necessarily the most memorable, but they're all very iconic and they all fit fantastically with the films. I just said it again. It's okay. Uh, no, I, did you, I have to stop saying fantastic. Did he do, I I'm know he does like counter. lost stuff, doesn't he? Did he did lost and he does a lot of JJ Abrams, uh, scoring. So yeah, he's, yeah, he's up there. Uh, the the current crop because I know John Williams announced that this Star Wars movie is the last Star Wars movie he's going to do, mm-hmm. and I don't know how many more movies he has in him. Period, because he's got to be like ninety. I think he is. Yeah. So like, who's the next crop of scorers? And yeah, Giacchino's on there. Um, uh, there's a couple other ones that are just really really good, and that's it's it's vital. It's vital to the yeah to well, film. And that was something else that I thought about too that had never really struck me. But when I started thinking about soundtracks, a lot of movies that I started thinking about were not necessarily no budget movies, but lower budget movies and a lot of horror movies. They utilize the soundtrack in a very different way from the way that like a a comedy or a drama or a higher budget movie would like Halloween. Halloween is a perfect example. So is, uh, the original uh, Friday the 13th movies. That Quite, whole schlock gen- genre exactly. is like... They, they utilize the music so well, not only for the to set the mood, but to tell you parts of the story. You know the minute you hear that, in Halloween, you know you're leading up to somebody going to die. Right. Mike Myers is around. He is hiding behind you. <laughs> oh, crap. Waiting to strike. He's in the fridge. He's in the fridge. <laughs> Jason Voorhees is about to smack two virgin teenagers together in their sleeping bags. It's going to be great. <laughs> so we want to hear from we want to hear from you people. Yes, we do. We want to hear what your favorite soundtracks, what your favorite scores are, what uh, what you like about what we said, what you don't like. If you like, if you're like the bodyguards, the best soundtrack ever. You're an idiot. I want to hear that, but it isn't. But you're entitled to your opinion. You are entitled to your opinion, even if it's wrong. Uh, also, please go watch Maximum Overdrive and just tell everybody what a great movie it is. All right, and Netflix is not going to be able to figure out why all of a sudden <laughs> so many people are watching freaking Maximum Overdrive. The number shot up by like 45%. I'm looking for this movie, Trucks. <laughs> That's actually, um, it's funny you would mention that because there's actually a movie called Trucks. That's more recent. It is. It's from a few years ago, and it's like a straight to like DVD movie, but it's based on the original, uh, the original 
story really? that Stephen King wrote. So I thought that was a Disney movie. No, that might be something different. But there is a movie called Trucks. Trucks. That's about killer trucks. Killer trucks. Killer trucks. It's a great idea. But we want to hear from you. We want to hear uh, your ideas and and what you think about music and film. Where uh, where can we hear from them, Matthew? Uh, we can hear from them at uh, what? Oh boy, info at audiojudo.com. Yeah, there you go. Forgot for a second. I'm sorry. Twitter is Tw- just at audiojudo. Facebook.com forward slash audio judo. Very good. Uh, we have an Instagram, but there's really nothing there because you probably don't want to just see pictures of us every time we're recording in a sweaty garage. Right, it's pretty lame. It's it just going to be sweaty pictures of the three of us sitting in the garage with beers. So I, I, so sweaty. I can't get the uh, I can't get the selfie angled down. So no matter what, I always have a big fat chin. You don't want to see that. <laughs> oh. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We, I have a, a not a surprise, but I'm going off Ooh. script here. I know they're probably oh, expecting. What's happening? They're probably expecting me to announce an interview. I'm not ready to announce an interview yet, but we are getting close. But the next episode, I want you guys to do your homework early. So I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about. Feel like we're probably going to get into a pattern of flip flopping between uh, reviewing a record and then talking about another musical aspect or another audio aspect. So we'll just bounce back and forth. So uh, I've already chosen the next record that we're going to talk about. Um, and they don't, and they being producer Randy and Kyle have no idea what I'm about to talk about. It's the Peppa Pig album. It is not isn't it? the Peppa Pig. Oh, it's, it. uh, it's baby shark over and over again. <laughs> no, it is, uh, is a record called pink moon by an artist uh, named Nick Drake. <laughs> what are you laughing about? That was the, uh, that's on my list that Nick Drake is like number two on the list of albums that I wanted to, or musicians Perfect. that I wanted to talk about. So. Okay. Uh, so it's 28 minute record. So you guys can blast through that. No problem. It's available on Spotify. Or oh, but it makes today. me so sad too. Why? His whole story. We'll get into it's it in a, the next a, episode. Right? It's so sad. It's a, it is a sad story. But that's your homework. Listen to Pink Moon. Shouldn't take you very long. And we're going to talk about it. It's a very underappreciated folk artist from the late 60s, early 70s. Um, So do that and uh, continue listening. Please also do that. uh, Write us, email us, do whatever. Get in touch with us. We want to hear from you. And we look forward to uh, seeing you. That's dumb. We look forward to being in your ears again next week. We look forward to speaking to you on the next episode of Audio Judo. And have a great evening, everybody. Bye, everybody. achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Were they shot? Were they shot? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. 
the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.